a banking executive is going to have maybe a very different experience personally than the 73-year-old grandma who's a member of that credit union. And the moment you can break that barrier of perception and get them thinking along the lines of the member base or the customer base, that's when you're actually going to start to see impactful changes being implemented. You're listening to Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay, a podcast that empowers financial brand marketing, sales and leadership teams to maximize their digital growth potential by generating 10 times more loans and deposits. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insights series, where James Robert Lay interviews the industry's top marketing, sales, and fintech leaders, sharing practical wisdom to exponentially elevate you and your team. Let's get into the show. Greetings and hello, I am James Robert Lay and welcome to episode 267 of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series and I'm excited to welcome Nicholas Blessies to the show. Nick is the VP of Growth at Scientia where they have designed the world's most comprehensive digital banking research platform, FinTech Insights, so that financial brands can gain clarity into what the industry standard is when it comes to user experience and how to be even better to maximize your digital growth potential going forward into the future. Welcome to the show, Nick. It is good to share time with you today, buddy. Yeah, great to be with you as well, James. Before we get into talking about insights for financial brands and fintech through quantitative and qualitative lenses, what is good in your world right now as we start 2023 together? Well, what I'm really excited about is uh, the opportunity this year, really, as the world's opened back up to be able to meet with a lot of colleagues, uh, people that I had met in person prior uh, to the pandemic, people that uh, I'd only gotten a chance to video meet uh, over Zoom, uh, as well as uh, certain phone calls. So I was really happy to be able to get back in person, face-to-face conversations, and uh, really connecting with people. Yeah, you know, it it's one thing that I've experienced as I look back over the previous year and then looking ahead to this year, even in a digital world, it is good to create space. It is good to create time to come and connect together. It's just how we met was, you know, in person at Finnovate Fall in New York. And we were talking there and I'm, you know, thinking about everything that you're doing, everything that your organization is doing, insights, um, helping financial brands understand the ever-changing, ever-transforming digital landscape. Is it transforming faster or, you know, maybe it's a feeling, maybe that's an emotion, or is it actually really transforming faster and faster and faster? What are y'all seeing through the research that you continue to do there? What we're really seeing is, again, different segments of digital banking are moving faster than others. Mm. So let's break it down, right? Uh, There's the guys like Revolut, there's these uh, fintechs, these super apps, who can end up pushing out uh, a feature, a change to a feature once a week, twice a week. So they're really innovating and implementing at a really rapid rate. You have some of the incumbent banks, uh, the guys like Bank of America, Wells Fargo. They move at a bit of a slower pace. Um, Maybe they're releasing features every six months or so. Uh, But what we're really seeing is that uh, reevaluation of, okay, there's some of these super apps coming in. There's some features being offered here, which our members, our customers are looking to be able to utilize. Maybe we have to start taking into consideration implementing some of these features at a faster rate. 
And then we come down to really the credit union space. Mm -hmm. And the credit union space is facing, again, in my opinion, many ways, do or die situations. Uh, A lot of them running on legacy platforms. And what they're really doing is finding a way to identify the correct technology partners and identify how they can best serve their members through digital channels. And I think the pandemic really kicked this into gear for them, uh, where it was maybe a little bit of an afterthought, uh, but it's on the uh, front of mind currently is what I would say. Well, when you look at, 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 say, credit unions, and I think closely aligned with credit unions is also community banks. Um, mm-hmm. Y'all did research around this, and you found that the biggest gaps are in wealth management and junior accounts. What were you identifying on these two fronts? Where are these gaps, and maybe what caused some of these gaps to begin with in the first place? Because I've, I've interviewed others on the podcast who are really trying to shore up or provide a path to bridge, say, the wealth management gap. But what's your take here? So there's a couple different factors, I would say. When it comes down to the wealth management, obviously, obviously with the crypto markets uh, being the way they were, let's mm-hmm. say, two years ago uh, versus how they are looking now, uh, there was a big trend in terms of being able to implement features for crypto trading onto some of these digital banking uh, applications, web portals. And really, we've seen even some credit unions uh, in the U.S. and regional banks implementing the ability to trade cryptos. I think what's happening is, again, a lot of the super apps, the Revoluts, uh, guys like Cash App, they're offering banking services, they're taking a portion of that wallet share, and they're giving these extra added features to the users, um, again, like wealth management trading, that's uh, incentivizing them to go and bring more and more of their money there. And I think that the gap there has been, okay, maybe from a technology standpoint, they haven't had the infrastructure to support the trading. And then also at the same time, I think that uh, they just didn't identify that as a particular need for the customer or for the member. And I think as these super apps are penetrating more and more, as there's more fintechs coming into the market, providing niche functionalities, specializing at first, and then sort of spreading their wings and their webs open with financial services, creating more partners and adding more and more, it's just eating more and more of that wallet share. And I think that's why it's become uh, a focus point at this point. I want to roll this back just a bit. You've mentioned this a couple of times for context for the dear listener, because we do have a global audience and everyone is at a different stage of their digital growth journey. You mentioned super apps. Um, What do you mean by this? And how is a super app different than say a, traditional mobile banking app Mm -hmm. so we look at somebody like revolute compared to let's say wells fargo Mm -hmm. Uh, wells fargo they're offering the standard banking services they have your checking account your savings account you have your loans your credit uh, your typical money transfers and so on when you look at like someone like revolute they're offering extra added services in now again revolute they have uh, subscription-based services for you to be able to add on particular things like travel insurance, even when it comes to winter sports, uh, let's say insurance, if you get injured while you're skiing, they get you covered there. So what they're doing is they're starting to package in, add in other services that might be outside of the digital banking scope and being able to make a space where individuals can get everything done from a single app within that digital channel. I want to pause on the subscription service side of things. I look at that as a tremendous growth opportunity for incumbent and traditional financial brands. I wrote about this in Banking on Digital Growth. I continue to speak about this. I look at this as product differentiation, product you know, packaging and reinventing product here. When you think of subscription-based services like insurance, 
where might there be other opportunities to package up product or package up subscriptions that could create value that we might not inherently think about through the lens of financial services, but they're complementary. You mentioned insurance. Are there other areas that that you could think of here for the dear listener to provide them with a new perspective going forward? Yeah, one of the things that uh, we could take into consideration, for example, is bringing in features functionalities from the hospitality sector, right? So loyalty points, looking at being able to integrate certain booking, taking advantage of, let's say, airline bookings. Uh, there's literally a just variety of consumer products that you could implement in through these financial services, again, with the correct partners to be able to maximize growth and to be able to really maximize that exposure into whichever segment that you're looking at. And again, I think that the possibilities are endless there. Just like people feel stressed about money, we understand digital growth can also feel confusing, frustrating, and overwhelming. But it doesn't have to feel this way for you because you can join the Digital Growth University to gain clarity through education, to overcome the fear of the unknown, Build your team's courage with a growth strategy to eliminate the fear of change and increase your confidence with coaching to remove the fear of failure. Visit digitalgrowth.com university to apply. You know, one thing that I've talked a lot about is the connection between a person's financial well-being and their mental well-being, their financial well-being and their physical well-being. I, and I want to get your take on this, I see opportunity to look at packaging up, we'll call them more mindfulness, mindset type of product that has the potential to be subscription-based and you can have a tiered approach. So for example, you might have on-demand guidance. There are mindfulness apps out there. It'd be interesting to see like a collaboration uh, even. Mm -hmm. But if you need that next level of, we'll call it guidance and not service, but true guidance, coaching, if you will. And that's maybe more of a mid-level, even a premium subscription model. Um, I think about the financial gym out of New York and the work that they're doing. And they, I think they charge about a $95 a month membership fee. Mm-hmm. Where might there be opportunities here for incumbents to, once again, package up differently that look at the holistic health, wealth, and, and well-being of a person, not just their wealth or financial side. Yeah, I think you bring up a really great point here. And I think that this is uh, one of the major distinctions that these incumbent banks have to make. So when they're looking at the millennials, when they're looking at the Gen Z, right, these are a lot more digitally savvy individuals. And maybe there's less of a focus on being able to package some of these digital things together from that incumbent side. But Mm. again, it presents a huge opportunity. These guys have huge development teams. They have the manpower to throw behind it. And we do realize that the millennial Gen Z generation, Mm. they are looking at that more mindfulness approach, a better work-life balance, and something that wants to cater to them. If these incumbent banks want to do it, they're going to be able to serve them in that sense. And again, it's a great idea there, being able to put mindfulness, meditation practices, and even that all-important just being able to be informed on your own finances, how to be able to perform certain actions. I can't tell you how many people I know who are looking up just basic financial knowledge on YouTube because <laughs> they were never taught it. And then they just, you know, at no point in their life did they have to go through that process until it hits some smack dab in the face. So I think that, again, that financial literacy is something that's huge that can be brought in by the incumbent banks because 
again, they're the backbone of it. They know they know about it supposedly, so they got to be the ones educating those users on it. You've got the financial literacy, and that's knowledge, but knowledge alone is not power. It's applying that knowledge. Like you said, you can go out to YouTube or TikTok. And I think one of the interesting things when we're studying the TikTok trends here with financial knowledge, quote unquote, is not all of it is sound. Um, it actually can be very dangerous. And I, I, if, if my memory serves correct, there was a recent article that came out of some social media influencers that ran up some stock prices, and now they're in trouble with the feds because they were using their influence to manipulate uh, stock prices with the, the the people that followed them. So I, I think there's that, and that's where, where, once again, if you bring this back into a centralized area of focus, even the idea of optimism. There was an article from U.S. News, and the title of the article questions, Are You an Optimist? Your Health May Depend on It. Well, now we can connect that dot with research that Frost Bank out of San Antonio, Texas was doing, that they had a program and a platform. They partnered up, I think it was with the University of Texas, and looked at the correlation between optimism and financial well-being, and they found that optimists are more financially healthy. So they're, they're once again, we're, we're diving deeper into this piece of mindset. And I think when you look at, like, say, the research that you're doing, it's not just numbers, dollars, and cents. There's a lot of emotion um, that goes into these digital experiences. Where might there be a gap in in say a traditional banker who is very smart very analytical they're a left brain driven leader but when you talk about user experience experience and experiences are very emotional um activities Mm -hmm. yeah so what i would say is the gap there could definitely be okay what's the rigid regulation that we sort of have to walk down Mm. what is the path that we have to take that we've known for the last 10 15 20 years that we have to take here and they're going to be looking in that sense okay from the technical aspect one two three four this is what we need to do that more human-centric approach is finding ways to reduce friction in any of those journeys right sure you have to be regulatorily compliant but there's easier ways to be able to bring those journeys to the uh, clients and the members, right? I have a really easy example, which I like to bring up a lot of the times. When it comes to a, let's say, KYC process, you're about to sign up for an account. Let's say I live in the state of Utah, right? If I'm going in and I'm going to sign up for the account and I have to go to the state box, and as opposed to going in and typing UT with a text field, many banks, they're going to make you hit the drop-down menu, scroll all the way down to UT and select it. Yep. Now, that's a very simple fix that's going to reduce friction on so many parts of any application that that bank is going to have. And again, it's just something from a human-centric point of view as opposed to the regulatory list everything out. You're going to have a lot better experience for that customer to be able to be onboarded. I think you're on to something, and and I want to dive deeper into into this. You, you mentioned it's a very simple fix, but it reduces friction because I can't recall the data that I was reading and the research that I was reading, but it was essentially like for every 10 seconds added to a user's experience, it exponentially increases the abandonment, say, of an application. Where might there be other opportunities to reduce friction from these simple points of view while still be regulatorily compliant? 
So I think we've seen some interesting uh, implementations for this. I would say when it comes to ID verification. Now that's something that's huge, right? Every single institution out there is looking to mitigate Mm -hmm. risk as best as possible, Mm -hmm. especially this time of year, uh, holiday season, you know, the fraudsters are in full force. So a couple ways that they have to do this, again, they have to be regulatorily compliant, but they also need to understand who's the best partner for them to link up with to be able to get that proper identification verified. And again, not all uh, not all the parts are going to fit equally for each institution. And I think that one of the great, I guess, capabilities is to be able to understand, okay, how have these people implemented their KYC, their ID verification live through a particular portal? That's really one of the ways that we are able to give those insights. And I think it is a huge aspect of being able to actually see, okay, this is, this is the process that they go through. We've seen with some of the digital banks, for example, Revolut 1026. Uh, they're using face identification. You're taking a picture of yourself yep. uh, and it's being matched up with your ID. And these are ways that are really reducing that friction process for the user to get onboarded. You're talking, I would say, some more advanced implementations here, particularly when you're we're thinking about the United States. Keeping up with all of this transformation, transformation of experiences, opportunities to reduce friction. I can't tell you how many CEOs and executives have told me, James Robert, and a lot of times it's in private because there's a bit of a pride and ego thing. I don't know what I don't know. And I often will stand in front of an executive or a senior leadership team and I'll say, you know, how many of you have opened an account, gone through the application process? at a neo bank or with a fintech and a very small percentage will raise their hand and say yes they have the vast majority of like no we we've never done that and that's where i think of this ongoing competitive analysis competitive benchmarking provides a tremendous opportunity to help the unaware become aware of what's going on in the real world um, and it's it, it's one thing to talk about it, and it's one thing to kind of show screenshots, but it's a whole other thing to experience it yourself, but then that creates challenges as well because then you're opening up all of these accounts, you know, with organizations and financial brands and fintechs, whether they be stateside or around the world for that matter, because there are different things that are happening, say, over in Europe or in APAC. What's... What's the challenge there? Why why is it not feasible to just go and open all of these accounts and apply for loans at all of these different organizations? What's the danger with that? What's a potential roadblock that could keep an organization, keep a leader blind to only knowing what they know? That's a great question. So I think there's a couple different paths here. Obviously, the first uh, sort of roadblock that they're going to face is if they're trying to see someone in Europe and they have no way Mm. because they're not a European to open the account, they're just going to be out of luck, right? So there's obviously geographic barriers. Even if we look at from regional banks to credit unions, right? I might be in a state right next door, but I might not be able to open up that credit union, even though they might be 
siphoning some members from me in that area, right? Mm. So there's a couple of factors there in terms of geographic barriers to be able to open these accounts. The other is even the selection process. Let's say you do go out there and you look at it. You're going to have a limited field and a limited perspective in terms of who you're looking at. So there's only so many accounts you can open. There's only so many journeys that you can go through and see and understand, right? Eventually, many of them might start looking the same from your own phone. So what you need to do is, again, get a huge spread, a wide spread of across different institutions from the very highest incumbent players with the largest asset sizes to some of the innovators in, uh, let's say, the fintech space to even the regional banks and credit unions who might be, because they're more member-centric, have some interesting features and some interesting ways they've implemented UX to those potential uh, customers of theirs, right? I think, you know, of a recent engagement I just did, I essentially did an hour-long show-and-tell, and we were looking at just front-end positioning within the marketplace, and we looked at five different examples, benchmarking them against a community organization, community financial brand, and there was maybe about 20, 25 people in the room, all the way from senior leaders, from you know different business lines, retail, residential, commercial, small business, And the aha moments that begin to go off because they were seeing things different than how they saw things before. And I think that's that's the first step of any type of transformation. And I'm writing about this in Banking on Change. And you know what? Okay, Nick, so when someone sees something different, they're going to begin to think different. But when someone thinks different, what happens next? What's the next step for them in their own transformational journey? What do you think that is? And there's no right or wrong answer. I just want to get your take on this. So the moment you get someone to start thinking differently, you have to change their perspective. So what do they need to do there? If you change their perspective, you're putting them into someone else's shoes. So that they have, what they have to do from that point is walk a mile in that individual's shoes. An executive is going to have maybe a very different experience personally, a banking executive, right? Yep. Then the 73-year-old grandma who's a member of that credit union, and the moment you can break that barrier of perception and get them thinking along the lines of the member base or the customer base, that's when you're actually going to start to see impactful changes being implemented. So... What you're diving into, and it's interesting how you took this a little bit different, and I think a lot of it's your background. If I ask that question to um, a banker or to a credit union leader, the typical response is, well, I see different, therefore I'm going to think different, and I think different, therefore I'm going to act different. And you rolled that back. You said, no, they got to walk a mile. And I said, to bridge the gap between thought and action because there's the knowing and then there's the application of that to grow, it's feeling and emotion. It's empathy and you're right. That's where I think your perspective of the world has helped to shape how your answer's different. And I would say it's the correct answer to actually apply the knowledge because if I think about transformation within organizations, yeah, we're learning a lot, and yeah, we're seeing things differently. We're thinking about it, but there's a there's a gap to actually applying that, and it's the feeling and the emotion because the desire, the feeling and the emotion must be far greater than the desire to remain the same. Through your worldview, 
How would you encourage the dear listener now with that awareness of that mental model? I see different, I think different, but I must feel different before I do or act different. How could they positively influence emotion internally to actually apply the knowledge that they're gaining, say, from looking at all of these different experiences? Because it's one thing to know, it's another to grow. Mm -hmm. So I think that, uh, again, depending on which groups are identifying, let's say, within the bank, right, there's going to be different uh, verticals of types of clients. They need to actually go and understand what's being said, what they're being told. What are some of those feedback loops? Mm. Because typically what I find, and again, in my own personal research, I'll do uh, some looking up on App Store ratings. And someone's going to comment in two scenarios, when they're very happy or when they're very upset. So there's going to be some sort of emotional reaction. There's there. no lukewarm. Yeah, there's no lukewarm on the app store, really. You're looking at either rave reviews or a one star, and they're saying things that we can't repeat here. So again, the way that I see it is looking at that member, that customer feedback, seeing what's being asked for, not necessarily just within your own bank, but even within the greater community, identifying where are your target areas for growth to be able to serve those needs. And then again, walking in their shoes and understanding what do they need? What does this person go through on their day-to-day uh, -day basis? You can take, for example, someone, uh, you know, millennial, right? That's someone who maybe is dealing in uh, paying back student loans, is dealing with uh, some personal finance management. Maybe they're looking to get into a little bit of trading as well. There's multiple factors there and they have to understand what is it that my customer needs and I have to be able to go in and serve that directly to them or someone else is going to eat up that wallet share for me. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, as we start to wrap up, um, I always like to look out to the future with hope, with optimism. As you look out to the future, Nick, what, what are you feeling most hopeful and optimistic about for financial brands to continue to optimize digital experiences that guide people beyond, say, financial stress and frustration in the present moment towards a bigger, better, brighter future? I'm really a big fan on financial freedom. I kind of tie it back mm. to sort of that super app thing here. And the way that I look at it is the best we can sort of take the handcuffs off the traditional way that we bank. We see a lot of people moving now, becoming digital nomads in terms of their work and their job. They need to be served in banking, uh, living, let's say, internationally, but being an American citizen and even vice versa. I think that the world is opening up uh, in terms of connectivity, uh, being able to create a greater global financial community. And I think that I'm excited about the path that we're taking forward in making those connections. Uh, I am a big believer as well in blockchain uh, technology. I think it's something moving forward is going to be, uh, you know, a huge key to unlocking that in the future. Dive deeper into that. Where Where is the opportunity on blockchain? Because it's one that I I suspect and can, can, can even quantify that the average financial brand leader has a lot of confusion around blockchain. And mm -hmm. we're starting to do more and have more conversations there. But what's your take on blockchain? Where are the opportunities? Because once again, if I look at things like blockchain and Web3, and it's 1994 all over again. Mm -hmm. You know, if you were a financial brand leader and it was 1994 and you were hearing about this thing called the internet and the World Wide Web, your mind was, well, how, how, is, how, how is that gonna impact my business? I think now, almost 30 years later, 
you know, think 2024, that's a 30-year horizon line. Blockchain, it's that next big thing to build on. What's your take there for future growth opportunities when it comes to this idea of, of freedom of what you're talking about? So I think that there's going to be a lot of, uh, let's say, automation that's going to be taking place within that blockchain. And it's not just the typical sort of products that we're seeing from the blockchain. Correct. Everyone has that crypto craze, right? But for me, the way that I look at it, I want to take it to the next level. I'm looking at mortgages. I'm looking at smart contracts. I'm looking at businesses who are going to be able to take the millions and millions of data points that they have, mm. organizing it in a particular way to be able to, let's say, identify and assess risk yep. at a high rate and being able to give out credit based on that. We see you know, some small problems uh, coming out with Klarna this past year, right? On that buy now, pay later. Yeah, I think that with a blockchain integration in some ways there, they're going to be able to identify higher like, levels of risk and they're going to be able to have more success on those uh, return payments back. For me, it's really the extra added services in blockchain, smart contracts and so on that are really where these opportunities are going to take off. As I reflect on the, the picture that you're painting of the possible future ahead, the key takeaway is to be a lifelong learner. And I mean, that's one of the four principles for us here at the Digital Growth Institute. And I, I recall Alvin Toffler, um, he was a futurist. And in, in 1970, he wrote, the illiterate of the 21st century will not be those who cannot read and write, but those who cannot learn, unlearn, and unlearn. And I even think about you know Socrates, the definition of knowledge, knowledge and wisdom is I know nothing. And so if we can yeah. just approach every day with that, we're going to be able to reframe our perspective going forward into the future. On that note, Nick, when you talk about reframing, I want to always leave the dear listener with an action item that they can take forward, something small, something practical, as all transformation that leads to future growth begins with a small, simple step today. What is one small, simple thing that they can do to continuously gain insights from the marketplace to then take that knowledge, take that wisdom, and transform it into action going forward? Yeah, so... I would say that my suggestion here is know yourself first and foremost. Don't have a perception of yourself, but truly understand yourself, where you sit within your own marketplace, within the greater marketplace. And then after you really truly know yourself, understand what is expected of you from that member base, from that customer base, and then decide where you want to be. And I think those are the big three questions that you need to understand. Where am I? Where do my customers want me to be? And where do I need to get to? And if we start thinking from those perspectives, I think that uh, it's going to lead to simple answers and simple simple steps forward to be able to achieve that growth and that transformation. It is all about simplicity, and it does start by knowing yourself. And I think about Sun Tzu when he wrote in The Art of War, if you know the enemy and you know thyself, you need not fear the result of 100 battles. Nick, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you for your knowledge. Thank you for your wisdom today. What is the best way that someone can reach out to you, connect, say hello, and continue the discussion that we started here? Yeah, it's a, always a pleasure chatting with you as well. And uh, best way to find me is on LinkedIn, Nicholas Balesis. You can find me on there, uh, VP of Growth at Fintech Insights by Scientia. Shoot me a quick message. Always happy to connect and have a chat. Connect with Nick, learn with Nick, grow with Nick. Nick, thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Banking on Digital Growth. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks. As always, and until next time, be well, do good, and make your bed. 
Thank you for listening to another episode of Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay. To get even more practical and proven insights along with coaching and guidance, visit digitalgrowth.com insider to join a community of growth-minded marketing and sales leaders from financial brands and fintechs. Until next time, be well and do good.